Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Hot Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. On today's episode, we're going to be having a look at Tottenham's new Premier League fixtures after they were confirmed on Thursday morning and there's also plenty of other things to discuss in the world of Tottenham Hotspur. Alistair Gold joining me as ever. Ali, how are you? Yeah, well, good. It's always good when we get the new fixtures out. There's kind of a mixture of excitement, outrage. There's always outrage at something. Uh, something that the random generator has brought as the computer. I don't. You just kind of imagine it's this like supercomputer locked in a way somewhere that someone's put all the numbers into crunch, and it's it always brings out something that uh, annoys someone. Uh, and even with this one, there's stuff the Spurs fans are talking about. So we can delve into that and many, many more things that have happened in the last seven days and that we think are going to happen in the days to come. Yeah, it seems mad that we're already discussing the new season fixtures. It's only a couple of weeks ago since, obviously, the 22-23 season came to an end. Uh, not going to run through all 38 fixtures, as we'll be here. I'll go on, it'll be really entertaining. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll just go through the key dates and obviously we'll give our thoughts on them. So Tottenham and Ange Postacoglu will travel across the capital on Sunday, August 13th for their first Premier League game of the season. They will be playing Brentford away and it's a two o'clock kickoff on Sky. We don't usually have the confirmation early doors for the opening uh, round of games but we have this time so I mean that's good for the, the Tottenham fans who will be planning to make the trip to West London uh, after the Brentford game it's Manchester United at home and Bournemouth away other key dates in the season include the first North London derby of the campaign that is on Saturday September the 23rd and that's taking place at the Emirates uh, the home North London derby you have to wait until the 27th of April for that Start of November, November the 4th, Maurizio oh. Pochettino will be making his first return to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. You know, almost four years on from his uh, dismissal as Spurs head coach. Yeah, uh, great shout. It's not, it's, it's, it's very close. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be horrible. Yeah. <laughs> that's why and, I made that noise. As soon as you said the date, I was like, oh, <laughs> God. Yeah, it's going to be nice. And then Spurs will be making the trip to Stamford Bridge on the 24th of February. And then Tottenham's enter the season. Wow, this really is a nightmare running. Uh, I'll go through the final six games because I think we need to go through them all. So another April trip away at Newcastle United. Hopefully not a repeat of what happened uh, two months ago. Then after that, it's Man City at home. Arsenal at home, Liverpool away, Burnley at home, and then Sheffield United away on the final day of the season. We will discuss that nightmare run in a bit more depth shortly, but Ali, the first three games, you happy with that? Uh, it could have been kinder. It could have been kinder. I think, you know, I wrote a piece in the week about this that Ange Postacoglu really could have done with a kind start to the season because he's made it very clear and it's out there for everyone to see in his career. Whenever he goes to a club, it takes him a little bit of time to get his methods across. And those early fixtures and results are not often the greatest. I mean, at Celtic, um, albeit Celtic fans have been telling me he inherited a bit of a mess when he went there, which is going to sound quite familiar for him when he turns up at Tottenham properly. Um, but 
those early fixtures at Celtic, I think they only won three of their first seven league games. They went out of the Champions League at the second qualifying round um, to the Danish side, whose name's gone out of my head. It begins with an M. Something like Mittelden or Mittel. Uh, I'm not even trying uh, to I know, I know it. who you mean, but I, yeah. I don't know the official uh, pronunciation. So I should have not, just said that. Danish side. Yeah, I should, I should have just said they went out of the Champions League. <laughs> it was my mistake for even going down the pronunciation route. Um, yeah, so and that's happened everywhere. So my my hope for this fixture list was that it was going to be a little bit kinder. I don't think Brentford away is your first game is is the nicest. Obviously, Brentford are a yes. We know they're not going to have uh, Ivan Tony. Although I think someone was saying his his first game back looks like it's going to be the second game against Spurs, um, as in the um, the game at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, thirtieth of January. That yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, Brentford is it's they beat Spurs without Tony, so it's not like they're they're more than capable of doing that. I think in terms of a an occasion for his first game being at home, being Man U is a biggie. I like that. I wouldn't say um, you know, it, it's the the worst fixture in the world. I think as a first home game, it's going to be a cracking atmosphere, and for him to to walk into that stadium, stand in the dugout, um. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the biggest Man U home game I always think about was the uh, final game at White Hart Lane. Um, and then just, just the occasion and everything. And it'd be great. It's not going to be the same because obviously emotionally it's not the same, but it'd be pretty cool if there was an absolutely rocking atmosphere for his first match. Um, I wonder if everyone will start wearing, like, you know, those hats with the corks hanging off of them and loads of kangaroo, um, like Australian-type things around the stadium. It'd be quite funny. Um, but yeah, Brentford away. Not great. Manu at home, I think that's okay. It, it, it could have been easier, but I think as a first game, it's quite a, a good one for the home crowd. Bournemouth away, we don't know what kind of shape Bournemouth are going to be in next season. Obviously, they had a decent season overall, really, especially um, the way they, they ended it all. Burnley away, uh, <laughs> guess he knows my thoughts on travelling up the country to Burnley away. Um, I always just seem to have a mare with it. it uh, I've had a run of seasons where having a, a week off coincided with Burnley away, much to Guesty's annoyance. Um, and the one time within that little block that I did have to go, I drove all the way up there, nightmare journey in the snow, to be told by a Spurs fan in the car park, oh, Ali, the game's just been called off. <laughs> I had to drive all the way back home again. Um, so, yeah, I don't have fond memories of Burnley away. Although it did give us the... Um, the Conte meltdown, didn't it? Um, that it was did. Fun. It did, yeah. yeah. And I think this Burnley one, September the second, it shouldn't snow. But I suppose you never <laughs> oh, know in Burnley, do you? Made it going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a freak September snowstorm. Um, but then, yeah, yeah. I mean, let's be honest. On paper, I know Spurs never, especially more than anyone, operate on paper. But you would hope that once you've got the Man U game out of the way, Burnley, uh, Bournemouth, Burnley, Sheffield United should be for a team that is maybe starting to get its rhythm together by then and understanding the Postacoglu system should be starting to pick up some points. It's a, it's a big should. Should's doing a lot of work in that sentence because then you're going straight bang into Arsenal away, Liverpool at home, uh, which is not going to be fun whatsoever. Um yeah, North London derby. That that for me. I know it's always early in the season, but that that's come a little early for my liking and the Postecoglou reign. Yeah, I think looking at the starts of the season, I think if you're a club with Champions League aspirations, if you look at the first six fixtures, I think you've got to be pleased. 
especially if you look and see Brentford, Bournemouth, Burnley, Sheffield United, you know, teams you be expected to beat, but Brentford I away. Say, on Twitter, underneath the, the fixtures, I saw Spurs fans saying, hashtag announce relegation. So I'm not entirely sure they're feeling like there's Champions League aspirations. So there's plenty of confidence then going into the new season. <laughs> right. Uh, I think Brentford away is going to be a really tricky one. I was having a look at their home form from last season and they only lost twice at home in 19 Premier League games. Uh, those were against Arsenal and Newcastle United. They beat Man City on the final day. So that's going to be a tough one. But Spurs haven't lost at Brentford yet, despite how good Brentford's home form has been. And another beating like the likes of Liverpool, City, uh, Manchester United, they absolutely trounced them last season. So, Tough one, uh, but I think just hoping that obviously Postacoglu is going to need time to implement his football philosophy. Just hoping everyone can take it on board pretty quickly. I think Manchester United at home, it's one of these. I think when you're playing the top teams, you might be better playing them. Early doors when they're not, you know, at, at the best and at full speed, like come November, December time. And to be honest, Tottenham should have beat Manchester United uh, at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in April. And this is when Spurs were struggling. So, yeah, it's not a bad fixture. I think Bournemouth away, you'd expect to win. Burnley away, it'll be difficult. Uh, but in, like I was saying, if you're looking at the first six games on paper, I don't think you can have too many grumbles uh, about it. But it's all going to come down to how Tottenham perform uh, and then just looking at the fixtures. I know we were on about there's a nightmare run at the end of the season. Usually during the campaign, you will get, you know, a block of fixtures where it's like three or four in a row playing against the top, top sides. And Spurs don't actually really have that until the running, as you alluded to in September, there's Arsenal away, Liverpool at home. But, Looking at the games, everything's pretty much spread out all right up until that final six games. So, yeah, fingers crossed it will be uh, a good season for Tottenham. I think the fast start's going to be imperative, especially with quite a few fans probably still having the doubts over Ange Postacoglu, given, you know, the clubs he's managed in the past and that lack of... He's a guy that doesn't have first starts. (laughs) That's the problem. (laughs) And this lack of experience in in Europe uh, but I think it's an opportunity for him you know to make a real statement a chance to win fans over as well so yeah fingers crossed it does pan out like that yeah first three games brilliant manager of the month yeah three (laughs) 1-0 wins uh, and then yeah not great after that but hopefully it isn't like that yeah I mean (laughs) The thing that's going to be key here, and I think I should add this as the massive caveat. When I say about Postacoglu's uh, early games, the rocky results that they have, the theme, though, is that the fans can see the football coming through and they can see what they're going to be getting. And that's what every club has kind of prevented this noise that, oh, it's the wrong appointment, he should go, because people can see what's happening and the transformation that is taking place. So... Even if, let's say, they did have a bit of a wobble in those early games, if the Spurs fans could say, oh, do you know what, though? You could see some of that football was lovely. You can see what a team we're going to be when it all clicks and when they take everything on board. And if that's there, then it'll be fine. Um, and who knows? I mean, we'll talk about his coaching staff and things like that later on. And, and But if he does get 
a few coaching staff members that know his style already, that may aid him in having a little bit of a quicker start than he has at other places because normally he goes in as like a, a lone warrior and then has to teach the coaches, the coaches as well as the players about what you want. So that might make a difference. Um, yeah, I agree with you that the the fact that there's this kind of bit of a horrible running does slightly open up other bits of the season um, to more kind of a mix of games. Although, as with everything, those games might kind of jump about all over the place depending on what happens with, with cup matches and things like that. And obviously, we don't have European football this year, so it's not going to change too much for Spurs. Um but yeah, you, you kind of can't not look at the four games that start off the final six matches because <laughs> Newcastle United away, Man City at home, Arsenal at home, Liverpool away. <laughs> it's like, whoa, that is a... I know, look, everyone, as soon as I pointed that out on Twitter, I got all the usuals. Uh, you, but, you know, you play every team twice. That's what you got to do. Deal with it. It's like, yeah, and I get that. I get that. But if you have four in a row like that, it makes things more difficult. It just naturally does. Um, there's other. I'd actually say the other variables that you can t- kind of take into account is is injuries and things like that. You don't know what state they'll be. And someone made a really good point as well. At that stage of the season, those teams could still be in European contention and could have fixtures that they have to prioritise maybe or, or whatever. Or they'll have tired players. And that's a great point as well. Um, this is something that we're going to see that Pretty much all of those fixtures being spaced a week out is going to be huge for Postacoglu in his first season because he's going to have full weeks on the training ground to get every single one of his methods and his whole philosophy across to those players. Um, and yeah, I, I know it's a dangerous thing, but I do kind of feel like I'm falling into this trap of actually having some hope for this season. And it's so dangerous because I know that it's the hope that kills you, but... Yeah, I, I think it, it lends itself to a season for someone coming in and trying to do a rebuild. Obviously, don't get me wrong, the transfer window is going to be crucial. I think it's going to be very important they get players in that he wants and that fit his system. Um, but I do think the season as a whole lends itself to him and what he wants to achieve at Spurs this season. And uh, and yeah, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. I'm just looking at some of those places we've got to go to. Obviously, Luton's going to be uh, a fun experience for a lot of fans, I think, um, especially as much has been made of uh, their stadium and their sudden rise and obviously it having to be brought up to uh, be able to have Premier League football and everything. Um, yeah, all, all the uh, the promoted sides, to be fair, it's, it's, it's two long trips, isn't it, really? Two long trips and one short trip. So uh would have preferred a few shorter trips, but there you go. It's, 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 the, uh, it's the way it shakes out. Um, otherwise, the only other thing I'd say, and I know some Spurs fans have not been particularly delighted about it, and I can understand why, is that there seems to be this feeling that why have Spurs been handed away game to start the season, away game on Boxing Day, and an away game to end the season? Whereas you look at, let's say, Arsenal, Home game to start the season. Home game on Boxing Day, so you don't miss too much of your festive meal. Home game on the final day of the season. Chelsea, home, home, home. Spurs have actually only got was it one home game. Postacoglu only gets to go to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium once until mid-September when he's back there. They've got three away games out of the first four. So I can understand when fans feel like the, the random fixture generator has maybe not been so random for them. 
Um, especially when you see your London rivals getting home games to start and end the season, which is always obviously gives you a little bit more of an advantage. But yeah, hopefully it'll all shake up and, and work its way out over the course of the season. Yeah, it's just, it's just the way it pans out, really. I mean, Tottenham in recent years have been at home on the opening day and away from home on, on the final day. But yeah, I mean, it's just random allocation, really. But I know you were saying obviously Ange Postacoglu might have one home game in the first four but there's a period in February where Tottenham have three home games uh, from a possible four so yeah, it's it's just the way it goes what I would say in terms of the running uh, I know we we're on about the nightmare four fixtures very similar to what Spurs had to contend with back in April when it was obviously Newcastle United Manchester United Liverpool in the road there's just that extra tough game uh, this time but in terms of the top four the top six everyone will make the predictions but nothing ever goes to plan in terms of uh, the race for those European spots I mean look at Liverpool and Chelsea last season absolutely terrible Uh, someone will have a bad season maybe two teams have a bad season that could give Tottenham a chance you know to get back in the top four running Uh, one of those four teams might have a bad season. They might not be in the running for a European place. And what I would also say is that if Postacoglu can implement his football philosophy, get Tottenham playing the attacking football, uh, the one, and that uh, having that opportunity to work with the team, you know, on the training pitch week in, week out, because they're not going to have the European football. These four teams won't want to play Tottenham in the running if they are playing really well and it's one of these things uh, winning becomes a habit once you get into the run and I think the hope is that Tottenham can be in a a bit of a winning run uh, just before those games because you look at the fixtures and Fulham away, Luton at home West Ham away, Forest at home, really good chance to get points on the board uh, in those games and what I would also say is I think that Man City game's probably going to be really key because City have an absolute dreadful record at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I've lost every game, not even scored. You know, if Newcastle uh, beat Spurs, uh, Tottenham, if they can uh, carry on this brilliant run against City, then that'll give a massive confidence going into the Arsenal and Liverpool game. So we'll have to see well, how... I would say... I would only say, only because it, it relates to that point quite well, there will be a change of dynamic this season in that Spurs are going to be playing a very different way. So, because yeah. I had some people on Twitter saying this as well, um, when I put the fixtures out this morning saying, oh, you know, but don't forget, Spurs always do well against the big sides and actually they'll struggle against the smaller sides or, or the supposedly lesser sides. Um, but actually the whole City thing. I'm going to find that fascinating this season because a lot of Spurs' success against the big teams in the last couple of seasons have been because of their counter-attacking style, which, you know, is probably is City's worst nightmare, really, is teams that play like that. However, Postacoglu, he's not counter-attacking manager. <laughs> You're not going to get that with him. This is going to be Spurs trying to have as much of the ball and going for the throat of every team. So I'm fascinated to see whether we end up getting a bit of a switch around in that they maybe beat more of the teams they're supposed to because of the sheer 
relentlessness of their play, but actually in some of the games against the bigger sides, they actually get caught themselves with, uh, I was going to say inexperience, but it's more inexperience of the Postacoglu system, I guess, and, and knowing how to deal with it. And, and obviously he'll have to adapt as well. I'm sure he'll he'll know that certain um, parts of his system are going to have to be not compromised because I don't get the impression he's someone that will compromise his views or beliefs, but will have to be tweaked and certain strengths of the opposition will be, have to be taken into account. But yeah, I'm interested to see how that comes out in the wash with some of these bigger sides, especially Man City. Um, I kind of feel like if there's one season, the, the City um, struggles at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium might come to an end. It might be this one. But hopefully I'm just being overly pessimistic there. So are you hinting at a Tottenham 7, Man City 5 scoreline then instead of a 1-0? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, a 10-9 defeat. Um, yeah, it, it, could, it could be. I'm just, I'm just really interested to see how Spurs play this season. Ultimately, if we enjoy it, that's a major first step for me. Just, I was talking with someone about this before we came on air. It's just like... I just really want to enjoy this season, regardless almost of what happens at the end of it. Just to be able to say, oh, do you remember that goal? Oh, what about that move? Oh, the way they played in that game. We've just had so little of that in recent seasons to write about and talk about. It'll be it'll be really nice to enjoy things. And uh, hopefully the Postacogli era will, will bring some of that. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, I think what we need to see in terms of the fixtures is a lot of Tottenham fans will be keen to make the travel arrangements already. Uh, fixtures aren't set in stone yet, apart from the opening game and the last game of the season. A lot's going to depend on the TV schedule. I have no idea when Sky will be announcing the you know opening three or four games, uh, but hopefully that will be in due course. So don't go about trying to book all travel and that and then find out the game's move because that could very well happen as you'd imagine. Tottenham yeah, we probably know the Amazon, don't we? The Amazon's the one we know, but they haven't obviously released their times yet, but we know the rounds of fixtures that Amazon have got, uh, which I should be able to get up right now to be able to tell you because I had it here a moment ago. It is It's definitely the festive game. I think it's the Boxing Day games. Um, and they are here. We are. I've got them in front of me. Fifth of December, the sixth of December, and the Boxing Day games. They're all the Amazon ones, which means we'll get very random fixtures. Don't they do them like almost one an hour? It's a, or half hour. It's a very strange uh, setup they do. But uh, yeah, so watch out for those dates. Will be a little bit all over the shop in terms of the fixture times. And you'd imagine Spurs. Probably will be on telly quite a fair bit this season, especially with a new manager. And if everything clicks into place, uh, you can imagine Spurs will be on the box quite a bit. Right, moving on from the fixtures, we're going to discuss uh, Ange Postacoglu's meeting at Hotspur Way uh, last Friday. He was at the club uh, for a transfer meeting with Daniel Levy. He also obviously sent a message uh, to Tottenham fans, I think, which... I think went down quite well, really. What he was saying, I'll uh, give you a gist of what he was saying uh, now. He's looking forward to the task ahead. 
Uh, I think it's an exciting opportunity for us now to sort of set off in a new direction, play football and create an environment that embodies the values and traditions of this fantastic football club. Hopefully a team that you can all be proud of and more importantly, get excited by. I can assure you that right through pre-season, we won't leave any stone unturned, myself, the staff and the players, to make sure that when the league comes around that you'll all be excited as I am about the new season ahead. So I really look forward to seeing everyone at the stadium, in particular at our first home game, and look forward to the journey ahead. I Very think disappointing it's... you didn't do that in Australian accent. <laughs> I think it's uh, fair to say he's really excited about starting life as Tottenham manager and I think a lot of Tottenham fans have also bought into his passion as well now you know just to make a big big difference at the football club going forward yeah and this is not to run down any previous coaches there have been some amazing coaches some of the best coaches in the world but it just feels so refreshing to have someone that clearly is really excited to be the Tottenham boss and really proud that they've managed to become the Tottenham boss Look, I know there's different ways of looking at it and there will be some people that will see Ange Postacoglu and think, oh, he should never have been given the chance or, he, he, you know, they need to aim higher or whatever. And, but obviously, you know, we've said this enough times now, you and I have been doing our research and this guy has been kind of working his way all the way up the chain to have this moment and he deserves it. And you can see the way, I thought it was a really good little clip, mainly because of the fact that it was clearly was unscripted. It was there was ums and ers in it, but not you know I'm not talking about it was really struggling, but as in you could just there was enough to be able to tell you this was not a guy reading off a script that was just underneath the camera or something. He clearly would have had some ideas. What he does when he does anything, he, he um, talks to people. He, he always kind of has ideas in his head what he wants to say. He has it almost planned out in his head, and it, you could you could feel that it was the right words, even when he strayed near about making not quite making you proud but talking about being proud it was like oh he knows not to go to Nuno here and he said something like but even more so and then went into the next bit and it was like okay yeah yeah I get it um uh yeah he's uh we'll see what comes now because he is technically has been on holiday since the end of the season uh or Tuesday after the Scottish season ended he popped into Hotspur way as like a temporary pause on his holiday, just to come in, meet some people. We had quite a few meetings, from what I understand. Quite a, went to meet uh, as many different departments as he could on the day. Um, obviously, spoke with Daniel Levy. Um, had a chat, one to one chat with. Uh, oh, sorry, well, it would have been a one to one chat with Ryan Mason um, about just essentially their beliefs, their philosophies, and everything, and. From what I understand, both very impressed with each other. And uh, we know that everywhere Postacoglu goes, he likes to give opportunities to young coaches. And I think it's fair to say that he and Mason have got very similar views on football. They both really want to play attacking football. They want to play really high-pressing football. Um, and they want to see the game played in a certain way. And actually, out of interest, for the first time, um, I actually managed to get around to listening to, after all the Postacoglu podcasts listening to, I listened to Ryan Mason on the, is it High Performance Podcast, I think it's called. Um, and do you know what? It, other than the fact that it's a fascinating listener, I honestly urge anyone to listen to it if you want to get a, a better sense of Ryan Mason and also cast aside any 
silly stuff that he would undermine Antonio Conte. And honestly, the affection that he had for Antonio Conte when you listen to it, it was done, I think it was recorded while Conte was ill and back in Italy. Um, and he speaks so highly of Conte. And also the fact that Conte went to his hospital when he was, you know, had his head injury himself. Um, but aside from that, the main thing I took from it was the fact that he and Postacoglu, there's a lot of similarities, a lot in the way they talk. And this clearly would have come out in this meeting at Hotspur Way. And yeah, it comes to the end of it. And lo and behold, we understand that he's going to be part of his coaching staff, which I think is a good thing. Um, I do think, um, <clears throat> excuse me, there's among, and I think it's a minority of fans. It's obviously mainly social media that have kind of decided that Mason is is all wrapped up in the whole Daniel Levy, uh, Enoch, Al, all of this kind of movement, which I think is so unfair on him. It's incredibly unfair. This is a guy who just wants, he just loves Spurs completely. He just wants the best for Spurs, whatever that is. Um, and yeah, I'm not a big fan of the whole, there's like silly stuff where people say like he's a mole, like he's a spy in the dressing room. It's like the conspiracy conspiracy theories are mad. And, you know, we know this because we were in the press conferences or we've done stuff on the press conferences that he actually was quite critical towards the end of the season about the club and the way it was being run and the direction it had been going in and the flip-flopping between different styles of manager and not having any real clear identity or leadership. Um, but I think just because he made one comment about the fact that he felt Daniel Levy had been let down by some people, which is true in some aspects, you know, definitely some of the, the recruitment side has been poor. Um, some of the managers maybe haven't turned out exactly as he expected them to. But look, that that's not letting Daniel Levy get away with anything because he ultimately he's made the decisions that have led to those decisions. So I don't think you could do that. But what I would say was that one Ryan Mason comment was very much should be set in the context of some really long press conferences where he really delved deep into the problems at Spurs that essentially stem from the top. Um, and if you speak to anyone kind of around the club or anyone outside the club that knows Ryan Mason, to accuse him of kind of being like a puppet or something of the Enoch regime or Levy they kind of laugh at that because he's actually a very um, forthright and honest guy about things and and what's gone wrong. Um, So yeah, that stuff. Yeah. I, 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 to be honest, I think it's more people actually think it's a good idea to have him on the coaching staff. It's a link with the players. He's very well respected by the players. They like him a lot. I think quite a few of them would have been very happy, been happy to have him as manager, which says everything. Um, he had offers from other clubs in the championship and across Europe as well, but clearly just nothing that felt right at this moment. I've seen people saying that, you know, if he was ambitious, he had ambition, he should have gone now. And it's like, well, no, I, I actually think completely opposite. You're 31 years old. You pick the right club as your first club. Otherwise, your entire managerial career is over before it's begun. And if he felt that none of the offers out there, or sorry, offers interest out there was quite the right first move, absolutely. He's in a great environment to learn from another top silverware kind of winning manager who actually has is going to be the closest thing to Pochettino that he's had since, you know, he did a, his kind of um, tutelage as a player under Pochettino, then why not take it? He's in a great position, a great learning position at only 31 years old. 
Um, so yeah, I'm intrigued to see what happens with him, and I'm intrigued to see what other staff members come in because there's been some reports out there, hasn't there? Yeah, there has. Uh, obviously, at Celtic, Ange had John Kennedy, uh, who played a massive part in his background team. He was assistant head coach. It was Gavin Strachan as well, who's the son of God. And, and there's Harry Kewell, who I think linked up with the club. I thought you said um, son of God there, <laughs> rather than son of Gordon. I was God. like, wow, God. that's a hell of an appointment. <laughs> I mean, some might have called Gordon Strachan God, though, so... <laughs> Uh, and then Harry Kewell as well, who I think was there last season. He was uh, one of the people Ange brought in and he clearly made an impact at Celtic Park. So I know Ange doesn't pretty much travel as a one-man band, but I think in terms of having a familiar face, he might want to do that uh, this summer just to you know try and implement his football philosophy uh, a lot quicker. I think we've... Kennedy is going to be really interesting because it looks like Brendan Rodgers could potentially be getting the Celtic job and uh, he has experience of working with Brendan Rodgers. Brendan Rodgers absolutely, you know, has raved about him as have, I think everyone who's worked with him is really highly rated. Then Ange Postacoglu said that John Kennedy's gone to make an outstanding manager uh, in the game one day. He's been linked with the Hearts job uh, this summer, so I think Celtic will be doing all they can to hold on to him. It's going to be interesting if Tottenham can get him. And I think if they can, that's going to be a shrewd acquisition, given how well he works with Postacoglu, the dynamic. Uh, and the fact that he's just a highly rated uh, coach in, in the game. And the same with Strachan and Kuehl. So it's really, really going to be interesting. I think in terms of Ryan Mason, I personally thought he'd probably look to go his own way this summer, but I think it's a really good opportunity to work under someone who, you know, plays and wants to play the style of football uh, that you do. Time's on this side. He's 31. Uh, so I think just spend a couple of years with Postacoglu, that's only going to enhance his uh, coaching abilities in the process and just build up that experience for that when that first opportunity uh, comes about, I think it's something you don't want to rush into. I think, was it Matty Taylor, who was on the Tottenham Academy coaching staff, yep. who used to play for Portsmouth? I think he went to, was it Walsall or somewhere like that? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't work out and not really heard much about him since. So it's one of these where... It's crucial, yeah, that first yeah, step. You've got to get it right. I think you said on the previous podcast, maybe like Celtic, it'd be the ideal opportunity yeah. uh, for him. But I guess it's one of these where you don't want to start too low because if it goes wrong, then that's going to harm your chances of getting like a championship job or something else. Then maybe if you go to like somewhere like Watford, I think you'd have to be off your head to go to Watford <laughs> because there's a fair chance you'd be out of a job within three or four weeks. Uh, so it's just about getting it right. But I think to work under Postacoglu who's gone to just enhance his game and it's just again for the Tottenham players having a, a familiar face on the training pitch because Mason will be doing a lot of the trainings at Postacoglu usually watches over the coaches as well yeah. to make sure they're doing their job properly so yeah uh, I think I know some have made the feelings clear about Mason staying on but I think in Hull a lot of Tottenham uh, fans will be happy because at the end of the day He's one of the run, and that's what you want to see. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, absolutely. I think it'll end up being a mix of of old and new for Postacoglu. I think he'll maybe get one or two of his Celtic staff to come with. Uh, like you say, it very much depends on who Brendan Rodgers desperately tries to keep there as well. Um and, you know, there's been reports about other ones they're potentially looking at. Like, I know Chris Davies was linked, um, former Rogers' assistant, wasn't he? Although there's a lot of talk of him maybe becoming the new Swansea boss. So that could be an avenue that's maybe shut off there. I know Paul Clement was linked as well. The uh, Ancelotti's uh, many-time assistant as well. Um, but yeah, I do think Ryan Mason is a very talented young coach. It may be that he only remains for the next six months. It may be that during this season something comes up. But yeah, I, I do think I'm very much on the side of don't just leap out into just almost unemployment and wait for a job. You know, you're better off kind of being in a very um, good environment, a learning environment. And if you listen to that podcast I was actually talking about, there's a point when he was asked about going from being the interim boss where after Mourinho went to then having to go back to academy work because um, obviously he didn't work under kind of this misconception that he was on Mourinho's staff when he wasn't. He was in the academy then, but he stepped in when Mourinho went and then he went back to that when Nuno came in before Conte was impressed with him and wanted him to come into his staff. But he, in that period where he switched back from being uh, first team to academy, they asked him like, but how did you do that? You know, how difficult was that? And like, obviously, naturally, there'll be an ego with anyone of, of having worked with the top players and then suddenly you're working with uh, groups of like 15, 16, 17-year-olds. And he said, you know what? It didn't work like that. I just kind of put my ego at the door because that's not what football's about. And I was still learning and I was still developing as a coach and I'm still having an impact in these young players lives so the moment if they saw that I didn't really want to be there or or thought that was what I thought which isn't the case then immediately you're not doing your job properly and he's very much this kind of quite a positive guy about everything so I would imagine as soon as he's spoken to Postacoglu and he's realized how in sync they are in their visions he's probably thought yeah this this is a good thing for me while I wait for my first opportunity to arise it's, it's, there's, there's no negatives to it whatsoever that I can see. Um, and I'm interested to see what happens with Matty Wells as well, uh, who was his assistant during his interim spell. Um, obviously, Scott Park was linked with the Leicester job. Has that got any further? I haven't really heard any more on that. I'm not sure on that one, to be honest. If it does, then obviously Matt Wells was his assistant. Um, where he was going at his club. So whether he ends up going to that or not, I don't know. But he's another very highly regarded young coach and and someone that he and Postacoglu would have, again, very similar uh, visions on football. So, yeah, I'm really intrigued to see how this uh, coaching style shakes up. And like you say, that's exactly how it is. Postacoglu, he gets his coaching staff to draw up. He normally gets one of them to draw up the majority of the sessions. 
Um, he will cast his eye over them, see what they're like. And then during the actual sessions themselves, he will watch over everyone and how it's being done. They do a lot of video analysis work, which comes with the players first, because his idea is that the training sessions should be deliberately relentless as well. They're only 60, 70 minutes long, but they need to be relentless like the matches are to prepare them for that. Um, Because in his mind, which is true, the ball is only in play for about 60, 70 minutes at the most um, if not far less, actually, I think it is. Um, and what he doesn't want to be doing in training sessions is constantly stop starting, telling players where they need to be, this, that, or, or whatever, which, funnily enough, under um, previous coaches, was exactly what happened at Spurs. There was a lot of kind of going over things and understanding things, whereas he likes to do that in the video room, the analysis room. And then what he does is he, he gives about three to four players to each coach on his coaching staff and there to kind of really concentrate on them and what they're doing. Uh, presumably, you kind of would do that in various areas of the pitch would probably make more sense. Um, and yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating to see how his coaching staff works out. And you'd think we'll quite soon get a, an idea of what it's going to be made up of because, like you say, the Celtic situation, I think, really helps Spurs. If they can get that sorted out quickly, they'll very quickly know who wants to stick around at Celtic and who's available um, yeah, we'll find out in the very near future, I think. You'd imagine it'd be soon, though, uh, as well. I know yeah. in the statement what Tottenham put out after Postacoglu's appointment, they, they said it'd been due cost. And I mean, we're midway through June now. Uh, preseason training's not that far away at all. I know a, a number of players are in international action, but. Uh, Give it a couple of weeks. Spurs players will be back at Hotspur Way and, you know, getting ready for the pre-season tour of uh, Australia and Asia and then just preparing for that Brentford game and the games after that. So, yeah, I don't think we'll be surely that too far away from uh, the news of Postacoglu's backroom team. Right, as we're now halfway through the pod, Ali, do you want to let everyone know about the benefits of using NordVPN? Yep, as everyone is probably aware, hopefully is aware, that the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world and that means there's no buffering, no lagging and you can stream your favourite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. It's something that I've done for many, many years. Um, Way before they were sponsors of this podcast, I was using NordVPN to be able to watch various things that I have at home streaming services and I could watch them abroad without the silly kind of things that for some reason prevent you watching what you've already paid to be able to watch. Um, That could be sports, that could be TV shows, that could be anything. Um, And also it's a very safe service in that it locks up your devices from anyone trying to get into them if you're using public Wi-Fi while you're out and about. It's uh, it's very secure and safe. It's a very clever service. Um, And not only that, but the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. And that's because you can purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. So let's say you could book flights from another country, and that can be cheaper too. So it means that while you're paying out a little bit for Nord, you're actually saving money overall. There's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash goldguest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. 
Let's discuss uh, transfers now as uh, the transfer window actually opened for business uh, yesterday. A number of clubs have been busy already. Obviously, Liverpool signing uh, Alexis McAllister and a few other deals going over the line. Tottenham yet to make a move in the transfer market. Is this something we can expect sooner rather than later then following this transfer meeting? Well, yeah, it, it, yeah, you kind of brought it back to exactly what I was going to say. Is the, is the transfer meeting itself? I um, got so tied up with the coaching staff that we didn't actually kind of go into. It. Yeah, one of the meetings that Postecoglou did have on Friday uh, was a transfer meeting, and uh, from what I understand, Daniel Levy was there, Chief Scout Leonardo Gabanini, um, and Ryan Mason, among others. I don't believe that Scott Munn was there. I think, from what I understand, he's currently still in China, or certainly was then. Um, obviously, his uh, time with the City Group doesn't technically end, does it, until he can officially join the Spurs on July the 1st. So whether that's just that he's tying up stuff back there, of course he's being consulted on everything, as anyone would be coming into such a, a big, high-profile position. I mean, technically, Postacoglu doesn't start until July the 1st either. Um, and he's doing similar, clearly. Um, so, yeah, Friday was the start of really trying to get some plans in place. Um, and I'm sure Postacoglu will have told them to kind of come back with with more options and ideas that fit his system, and he will have given them players that he likes. Um, there's this kind of sense sometimes you get from just reading what people say that Postacoglu will only know the Japanese and Australian markets or something like that. It's like... Again, you've got Postacoglu all wrong here. He's got like a bit of an encyclopedic mind of players. He reminds me a lot of Martin Joel. Whenever I used to speak to Martin Joel, his, he would just tell you not only a certain player, just somewhere random anywhere in the world, but he would tell you about a precise match and the date and where well, they scored a goal and they did this in a game. And from what I understand, Postacoglu is very similar. Um, he's got this incredible knowledge of the game across the world. So if anyone thinks he's coming in, having to be told about players in Serie A or the Premier League or, you know, Liga Earn or, or or anything, or Bundesliga, it, that's not going to be the case. He's going to be very well aware of many, 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 many players. Um, so he will come in with ideas of people that he feels would be the perfect fit for his team. Because, I mean, this is the thing as well, is that with no disrespect to where he's been before, but his system has always had players of... Uh, the level, I guess, of that league. And he is now coming to a league which is considered to be one of, if not the best in the world. Um, so he will be able to now attempt to try and fit as good as Tottenham can get into his system. You know, you're going to have a Harry Kane playing in your system. You're going to have a, a Sonny playing in your system. You're going to have a World Cup winner in Christian Romero playing in your system. And, you know, the likes of Benton Cohn, Basuma in that midfield as well. And and he will want to continue putting the very best players that he feels would fit his 4-3-3. Um, very specific roles in that 4-3-3 as well. So, yeah, there's, there's ins and outs. I can see, um, I think there might be some outs that perhaps surprises, you know. I mean, we've spoken about this before that some like Pierre Mohoibier I don't really think fits his system particularly well. Um, and if I'm Postacoglu's Spurs, I think, yeah, he, he's a bit of a leader. He's a strong character in the group. However, if he doesn't entirely fit the roles required, 
then maybe he's someone who, with two years left in his deal, you could get a bit of money for and put that towards other areas in the squad. Um, and if I'm sure if Hoybier was told that you're probably not going to be playing too much, he would maybe uh, want to make that move as well. So I do wonder, there's a part of me that wonders whether he's someone that ends up moving on because you've got, let's say, Bentonkis, Skip and Basuma. They could all play the number six pivot role in the midfield three. But actually, I would say, especially Benton Kerr and maybe Basuma as well, could also play in the number eight roles if required as well. Um, and then, you know, you're looking at someone to come in like a, like a James Madison. You know, we, we were speaking about him. And James Madison could fit into that very well. Um, Connor Gallagher is another one that I know our boss Lee wrote a story about this week. It was Spurs interest in him. He would fit well into that. So now it's a time of assembling uh, the right squad, but also making the right decisions on those players that have got to head out the door. Um, I personally, I know this is a difficult thing to say with Spurs because it's very much something that has always hindered them in the past. But personally, I think we could see maybe the biggest number of exits from Spurs in a long, long time. Whether that's on loan or permanent, I just think there's so many that need to leave because otherwise the squad would be huge. Um, it has to happen, I think. Yeah, well, I think it was 11 loan players who headed out last yeah. year and a number of permanents yeah. as well. So you could be looking at 15, 16 upwards potentially. Uh, there are a number of players who need to be moved on. Players, I think, need to move on for themselves for the sake of their career just to kick start it uh, but I think what could make it tricky uh, for Postacoglu uh, Tottenham and the new managing director of football is some of these players you know aren't playing at the levels they should they've struggled for form so there's not going to be clubs queuing up for the services and then in terms of the foreign market Clubs maybe can't offer the exact same wages players are on in the Premier League. So that's Absolutely. always going to uh, make uh, deals uh, go forward. And I think everyone's maybe thinking, you know, it's going to be pretty straightforward to sort out this summer. X, Y, and Z will move on. I don't think he's going to run exactly like that. I think it's going to be tough. Uh, I mean, look. 12 months ago, Tangi Yandabelli, Giovanni Celso, Sergio Reguillon, Harry Winks, not part of Antonio Conte's plans. Four players you'd probably expect there to get a permanent move somewhere. But they ended up going out on loan. So it's not going to be straightforward, but I think it's just a time for tough decisions uh, this summer in terms of the squad. Uh, it's a chance to reset. And hopefully we will see that over the uh, coming weeks and months because there's a number of incomings and outgoings to do. One player who has been heavily linked with a move to the club, uh, James Madison, that he's going to have an interest from elsewhere, especially Newcastle, who've been heavily linked with him. And if it's a choice between Newcastle and Tottenham, does he maybe head to St. James's Park, given how well they're progressing? They're clearly going forward as a club, and they've got Champions League football. Absolutely. I think Newcastle are a very attractive proposition right now. Of course they are. There's no getting away from it. You know, the money that's going to be put into that club over the years to come. Um, I know, obviously, Daniel Levy is very hopeful that financial fair play, uh, the tightening of that will, will make a difference uh, beyond 2025. But right now, they're a team that are clearly on the up. 
got a very good young manager in Eddie Howe and Champions League football to offer as well. So that's going to be on one side a very, very tempting um, you know, offer for anyone. Uh, but what I would say with Madison as well, if Spurs fans want to cling any hope to something, is that he has uh, he's represented by base um, who are very close. It's an agency that have very very close ties to Spurs. If you look through the the list of kind of people that they represent, you'll find a lot of Spurs players from the now and a lot of Spurs players from the past. And especially if you look through the academy as well, some of the most um, talented Spurs youngsters also base clients. So it, it's a it's an agency that very is a massive agency, but they do have. Uh, a very good relationship with Spurs. Um, Postacoglu as well. He's base as well. So just just to keep tying it all in together. So yeah, if, if there's any way of making something a little bit easier to do, there is certainly that side of it. Um, and there's the old cliche as well, uh, whether it's true or not, of players kind of sometimes preferring to, to play in, in and around London, just to be around the city and live there rather than elsewhere in the country. You know, whether that's actually true or not is another thing, but it's it's an old cliche. Um, we'll see with Madison. I think he f- would fit the system perfectly. I think he has the engine to get up and down the pitch, but also the two number eights in the Postacoglu system have to support the striker and essentially make a front five at times. And I think he would be perfect to do that. Um, you know, especially the season before last, he scored and assisted so many goals. You can see it's in his his wheelhouse to be able to do that. Um, so, yeah, I'm intrigued to see what happens with Madison. He's a very talented player. Um, he's he's also, I think he sometimes gets unfairly put into this category of maybe someone that doesn't work hard, and I, I think he does. Everything I've seen of him, I think he's got really good energy levels. He's always played very well against Spurs on the whole as well. Always seems to score or assist against Spurs. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see which way that goes. I do feel like the more attractive proposition is Newcastle. But I think in terms of, uh, I was going to say the system he's playing, but Newcastle would probably be it's fitting very well as well, uh, which is testament to him and his style of play, I guess. But, uh yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens with him. Just very quickly going back to the kind of getting players out the door, it is such a thing that has hampered Spurs in the past. It's like, you know, for instance, in the last two summer transfer windows, I know that they've been looking for two centre-backs in each of those windows. But on each occasion, they have only been able to get one because they couldn't get enough centre-backs out the door. And that's been an issue. And again, this summer, they want two centre-backs in, but they have to get the players out the door first, you know. You look at those centre-backs they've got and you think Davinson Sanchez surely would want to get out of the club, look for regular football. Um, again, like you say, it's about finding a club that are going to willing to match wages-wise and maybe Spurs end up having to help the deal to reflect that. Uh, Jaffet Tanganga desperately needs first-team football. He needs to play regular football. Eric Dyer, I'd even say, um, you know, is he going to be a first choice under Postacoglu with a high line? It's difficult to see. Um, I know, obviously, the fan opinion of him is is not the greatest on the whole, but obviously maybe this season, as with Sonny, that we'll talk about, you know, maybe injury has played a part that we haven't been aware of for too much of it, a bit like Kieran Trippier's last season. Um, but for me, maybe it's time for Eric Dyer to have a new challenge 
cue him signing a new contract and staying at Spurs. But, you know, for me, I just feel like defence is the area that, for me, needs the biggest rebuild. Um, but it's all about lots of moving parts, I guess, and making things happen. Because I know the fans would very much like, just get the player in. doesn't matter about them getting out. But Spurs just can't have a bloated squad under Potstokoglu. It can't happen. Uh, they've really got to make this a tight squad that fits uh, a season with so few fixtures compared to recent ones. So, yeah, it's got to be done right. And also, Postacoglu, like Spurs, I think will want to give some opportunities to younger players as the season goes on. And the bigger your squad, the less chance you have to actually do that. So, um, yeah, I'm intrigued to see what happens in that position. But to be honest, there's a few positions that are going to need some new players in. Yeah, uh, just sticking with the defence, obviously Tottenham had Clement Longley on loan this season. Uh, there's reports in Spain now that potential permanent move uh, could come to fruition and they're suggesting that it could potentially be quite a bargain. Uh, Six million euros, what works out about five million pounds. I think surely, uh, I know fans want like two or three world-class centre-backs to come in, but realistically, is that going to happen? Two are going to be sat on the bench. I think you need cover. Clement Longley would provide cover. And I think maybe for five million, it's an easy decision. Yeah, I think pace-wise, a bit like Dyer, he might struggle with the high line. Um, ironically, Sanchez is probably the one who would have the least issue with that. Um, but what I would say about Longley is technically, I think Postacoglu wants his centre-backs to be able to play with the ball um, get it very quickly up the pitch, see those quick passes that need to be done. And Longley can do that. He would be very good at that. And I do think it's one of those where I know people hate to see the business side of football. But if you're looking at four or five million pounds for Clement Longley, uh, you know, from Barcelona, I think it just makes so much sense from also a business point of view because not that they're going to do this, but you could sign him for five million and flip him for 15 in about a month's time. It's like it, it, business-wise, it makes total sense. But I actually also think as a squad player, I think he's quite, he would be a good option. And I think from everything I'd heard behind the scenes about him over the course of this season is that he's got a terrific kind of uh, attitude and a lot of the players, kind of the younger players, look to him in the way he prepares himself. Um, and yeah, I'm not going to go say he's like he's an inspirational character, but he certainly is someone that if you ask, let's say Hugo Lloris about him, who obviously knows him very well, he will say similar that he's a guy that is very focused on trying to win, very experienced, very knowledgeable about what needs to be done. Um, and I don't think that's a bad character to have in a dressing room of a team that's probably going to be a lot younger, I'd say, in average age this season. I get the impression. Um, and I don't think it would be a bad deal at all for that sort of price. I agree with you that I think everyone wants a team of Gla Harlem Globetrotters. They, get, they want world-class players in every position, but I just don't think, unless you're the likes of Man City, that's probably realistic of how a squad is actually assembled. Yeah, 100%. Uh, another player who's been heavily linked with a move to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium this summer is... David Raya, uh, goalkeeper at Brentford, who's made a really big impression in the Premier League uh, following Brentford's promotion back in 2021. He, like Hugo Lloris, is out of contract next summer. 
which uh, possibly means he will be on the move with Brentford already bringing in a new goalkeeper from Germany. David Raya, I think, tick a number of boxes for Tottenham. Good shot stopper. We saw that in the recent game uh, at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium when he saved two really, really good attempts from Richarlison when the ball looked destined uh, for the goal. He's good with his feet. He's homegrown as well, which will certainly help uh, Tottenham out. But I think what's going to prove problematic towards this deal for a number of clubs is I think reports suggesting Brentford are wanting £40 million, uh, for him and for a player in his final year of his contract who will be available on the free in 12 months' time are they realistically going to get £40 million for him? I think interested clubs will be you know, trying to drive that price right down. Yeah, I mean, Brentford could quite understandably say to Spurs uh, hello it's what you're doing with Harry Kane and I understand that but with no disrespect to David is it Raya is that how we say it rather than Raya okay David Raya um, is that it's not Harry Kane we're not talking about Harry Kane we're talking about a, a fantastic goalkeeper but we're not talking about one of the world's best players is, is Harry Kane right now um, and someone who's so intrinsic to his football club and that's the thing with, with Raya is that I mean, he wasn't even first choice towards the end of the season at Brentford, was he? He was kind of in and out of the team, wasn't he, a little bit? I'm not sure on that. I, I oh, don't I'm know. Thinking, oh, sorry, am Are I you thinking of Sanchez, Sanchez Brian? Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. That's, that's a perfect case of too much analysis and confusing different names. Yeah, sorry. Raya was, Sanchez was the one who was in and out of the team. Absolutely. Was it Jason Steele? Yes, he came in. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, sorry. That was me doing my homework the other day on goalkeepers and, and I'm getting it mixed up in my head. With Raya, it feels to me like one of those deals that um, you maybe, unless there's a major twist, you can see getting there at some point, I think. Because clearly Spurs and the player seem to want each other. Um Brentford, I think there's an understanding. It looks like that he's not likely to sign a new deal with them. Um, and I think 40 million is is a bit excessive myself, even though he's very talented. I think you're probably looking more at... I know he's homegrown, which adds another little element to it, uh, the cost-wise, but I think you are probably looking more towards the Basuma in his final 12 months range of about... 25 to 30 million maybe makes more sense. Um, and I think eventually they'll get there. They've signed his replacement already, haven't they? Yeah. Um, Brentford. So they've kind of got that in hand. Um, so I, I, I think that's something that you would think will reach a natural conclusion in the coming weeks. Um, and yeah, it's interesting. I was going to put this to you because you might have seen a little bit more of him than me. Obviously, I've seen bits and pieces of him over the course of the season. Um, and when I, I've seen this debate raging about his ability with his feet, some people seem to think he's superb with his feet. And I've certainly seen footage of him picking out some fantastic little clipped crossfield balls and stuff like that. But there's other people that say that actually when he's under pressure, his short passing is a little bit of a weakness. I mean, is that so you might know a little bit more than me? I'm sure you've done even more goalkeeper stories recently. Uh, probably not. I think I've just heard like people saying he's really good with his feet and all I can say is having watched him at Tottenham in May, he's got a, a range of long and short passes in his locker and no Jurgen Klopp did say he can play as a, num 
he could play as a number 10, basically, because he's that good on the ball in terms of, you know, starting attacks with his long balls over the top or short passing. So I, I, I don't know. I've not seen that. He's, he's struggled with short passing under pressure personally, but uh, less, I mean, it'll be better than Hugo Lloris with his feet, put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens in the week's head because I'm sure you'll see other keepers linked. Spurs will have other names on their list and there will be reports that come out that no doubt are to put a little bit of pressure on Brentford if they feel like they're one chance of maybe moving him on this summer. Because um, I know there were some links to Man U, but I think some of those were played down a little bit as well. Um, it very much feels like I'm not going to say the Jed Spence situation, but one like that where you feel like the player and club really want the move to happen. And then it's just a case of trying to almost grind down that value, which I'm not, I know Spurs fans will not want to see that because that was the one good thing about, uh, I felt like last summer was that a lot of the deals were done quite early. Um, I guess as long as they're done before pre-season, that's the main thing, isn't it? Getting them in place, getting them into the uh, the ideas of what Postacoglu will bring. Um, yeah, no, he'll be an interesting one, Raya. I'm going to have to get that into my head of calling Raya. I called him Raya his entire season, so that's going to take a long time to get out of my head. Uh, but yeah, he's certainly very talented. What is he, 27 years old? You could feasibly, like with Lloris, get a decade out of him at the, if he really kind of proves to be the man. And this is the thing about Hugo Lloris, isn't it? When you look back, I know he got some criticism towards the end, but my goodness, Spurs have not had to pay any real fee for a goalkeeper for 11 years. That's mad. It's absolutely mad how long it's been. Um, and when you look back at the light, I interviewed Michael Dawson the other day at the kit launch uh, for the, the new home shirt. And Dawes, at the start of the interview, I well, we was talking about Lloris, and he said, yeah, yeah, obviously I was his captain in front of him. I was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that he's been there that long, that Michael Dawson was in the defence in front of him and wasn't, and was, you know, Lloris wasn't even the captain. Um, it shows you what a servant he's been to the club. And I'm, I'm sorry, I know there's, it was the right time from, it, sorry, it had, technically hasn't gone. So I, I do feel it is the right time for him to move on for the new challenge he wants. But if anyone doubts it, Honestly, he has saved more points for Spurs than he's ever given away by a long, long, long margin or big margin. Um, he's, uh, it's, I'll, I'll be sad when he goes, even though I know it's the right time. But it is time for a new person to step up as the, the number one for the long-term future. And hopefully, David Ryer's the, the, the man. And uh, he's the homegrown thing will be a big thing as well for Spurs. That will give him a little bit more flexibility uh, in the market. How do you, I know people love this bit when we do this, but how are they looking homegrown-wise? I know you've looked quite recently at that. Yeah, I've totted the numbers up, and including the players coming back from the loan spells. I've not included Clement Longley. I've included Dane Kulaseski, as you'd imagine Tottenham will make that move permanent. I think I worked it out as the bang on the limit for 17 non-homegrown players and they've got 12 homegrown players. But obviously with a lot of transfer movement this summer, you'd expect maybe Ndombele, La Celso, Reguillon uh, potentially to move on. And then the homegrown numbers, probably question marks over Jed Spence, Harvey White's clusters, 
a homegrown player this season because he's uh, he can no longer be registered on the under twenty one list. Same as Brian uh, Gill, so he's going to be included as a, a non homegrown player, providing he sticks about. So yeah, they're uh, far over the twenty five man limit. But once obviously the transfer outgoing starts happen, that num those numbers will tumble. Yeah, and I suppose not having European squad limits, which is slightly different to worry about, is another thing. Um, yeah, I think so many of those players will, will go. I think it is no coincidence that you see them being linked with homegrown players like Raya, like Madison, like Gallagher. Um, even I know we saw the links with Maguire as well and, and stuff. And I do think they know that they have to maintain this homegrown core as well. Um yeah, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting window. Uh, it's going to be so many kind of different kind of players linked to what we've seen in over recent seasons with a different kind of manager on board. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Just not be nice to just not have a window where there's 17,000 Serie A players linked with a club. <laughs> It'd be lovely. Well, on the subject of a Serie A player, <laughs> uh, I think one player all Tottenham fans probably want a deal to come to fruition quite quick is Dane Kuliseski. Obviously, his 18-month loan deal from Juventus will be coming to an end at the end of this month. Tottenham do have an option in their contract to sign him. I think it was for €35 million Euros when they were works out at €30 million. Basically, if Tottenham had qualified for the Champions League, that would have been an obligation to buy him. But if they missed out on Europe, then it turns into an option. So, Spurs can still buy him thirty million. I think he's payable over five years. Yeah, it just seems a bit of a no-brainer. I think it's one of these where everyone's just waiting for the announcement now. But over the past few months, there's been talk of him returning to Juventus, and I think there's been whispers today about possibly a move to Newcastle as well. Yeah, it's it's one of these where. To be fair, the message coming out of Spurs has not been any different. It's always been, and it maintain. It seems to still be the same as this. They fully expect Kulusevski to be a Spurs player next season. Um, you know, we, we've said this before, but he's splashed across all the promotional material for the match in Thailand next month after his loan ends. I even saw when the new home shirt came out, there were five players on like these fast tabs that you could go and get their name on the back of next season shirts. And one was Kulusevsky, um, which, you know, again, you don't flag that up at the top um, of your kind of kit website, a player who's only on loan, get him on your back of your shirt for next season because you just know you have to do refunds aplenty. Um, it feels like the, the Kulusevsky wants to stay at Spurs. Spurs want Kulusevsky next season. I'd imagine, of course, there'll be an element of it's just the way Spurs, and to be fair, a lot of clubs operate in that, can we get this fee slightly lower? Does it really have to be that kind of fee? Uh, especially as his second season has not quite matched the first one. So I'm sure questions are being asked at Juventus is, is, you know, he wants to come to us, we want him, but can we make this figure a little bit more reasonable? Juventus could be well within their limits to say no, uh, which is why you've probably seen the, uh, Juventus, the Newcastle stuff coming out as a little bit of a warning maybe. Um, but again, it just feels like something that's going to happen. It's just a case of when. Um, and if it doesn't, honestly, it'll be a huge shame because I think he's such an incredible talent. I think this is part of the issue. I think 
Spurs would be mad to let him go somewhere else, develop and potentially become one of the best players in the world. I genuinely think that about Kulusevski. Um, I think this season was just one of adaptation for him. And I think someone like Postacoglu will get so much out of him, not only as the right-sided player in the front three, but I actually think he could do a job as one of the number eights. He's always say, you know, he told us last year that he could be a number 10. But I actually think in the Postacoglu system, the number eight is almost like a number 10. Um, I think he could probably play that role. So, again, a bit like the, the long lay thing. It's a bit like, I feel like you could sign Kulisevsky for that price and sell him a week later for double it. I just think it's such a, even as it is, a fight over across five-year deal for about, what is it, 30 million, something like that. I think it's a no-brainer. I think it's one of those where Spurs go and try and knock it down a bit, and if they can't, they just sign him. I mean, it's uh, there was talk that maybe there was two weeks left in which to take up the option. So I don't know whether that kind of puts a little bit of pressure on it, but yeah, I think it's something that 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 has to happen to me uh, for me to be honest. Um, it makes loads of sense, but it's football. Crazy things happen. I think it's one of these where obviously the club are probably happy to pay that because they know his market value. But at the end of the day, it's business. So, of course, you're going to try and drive the price down a bit in terms of trying to save money. What then you can put to, towards other deals. But if you then to say no, then at the end of the day, it's still in their agreement and option to buy for 30 million euros. So then you go and go out and purchase him and. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. With you, I think he can be someone who can thrive in Postacoglu's system next year, even as one of the number eights, because he'd actually played in that role quite a lot coming through the system at Atalanta. Uh, I think he said to you in pre-season last summer, he likes to play in the central roles. Uh, he thrived there in the last two games of the season. So that could be an option that could potentially work in Richarlison's favour. Uh, so then you're going to have this exciting front five, what could be Madison, Kulosevsky, uh, Richarlison, Son, Kane. So, yeah, uh, I think it's just one of these deals that all Tottenham fans want to go through, but probably still a bit of time uh, until his loan deal comes to an end. Uh, I've just realised, you know, I said about two weeks until they can't make a decision anymore. It's because that's when the loan deal ends. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just forgetting we're in mid-June. Yeah. yeah, of course. That's why it's two weeks. It's because it'll probably be thirtieth of thirtieth uh, of June when the loan ends. So, yeah, that's when the uh, the option presumably expires. One player who Tottenham will be hoping to keep this summer is Harry Kane. He's been heavily linked with a move to Real Madrid and Manchester United uh, this week. There's been a lot of talk about Kylian Mbappe's future at PSG. What's raised question marks over Will Madrid? then move for Kane uh, when they can potentially go for Mbappe this summer and there's been a lot of talk about Manchester United but the reports coming out over the past you know 12 hours or so suggest that they won't be making the move for him yeah it's quite interesting you kind of feel that vibe coming out from the Manchester pack of uh, press around that club is that yeah that they're not they're not prepared to do a big old saga I guess like it was with City and Kane in 2021 and it's just very much if he's not available, he's not available. We move on to the other targets. Um, and yeah, the Mbappe stuff's come at a fascinating time. It's, I'm sure Spurs were looking at that and thinking, yes, that's like amazing really for them because 
I know Mbappe is saying, oh, you know, I'm not planning on going anywhere. I want to see out the season at PSG. But PSG, by the sounds of it, got other ideas. You know, they don't want to lose him for nothing next season. Um, and you'd imagine Real Madrid would put together a big fee for someone like that. They would have their world-class star up front, um, which, yeah, you'd, you'd imagine that with Bellingham as well. And then it's it makes the prospect of Kane look kind of like it wouldn't happen, I guess, if Mbappe goes there. Um, look, we know Spurs, it's been very clear the intention is not to sell, especially to a Premier League club, which maybe leaves the door slightly ajar for a Real Madrid um, although I know it's Real Madrid and I know any player would probably be daft to turn them down, but you have always had this sense with Kane that it, it's about being the all-time top scorer in the Premier League. And I know time's on his side. He could probably come back and do that if he was to go to somewhere like Real Madrid for a season or two. But a bit like Ryan Mason always says, you just don't know what happens in your career. Get a bad injury and, and that's that chance gone. But people would also add very clearly and obviously that yeah, but you could go to Real Madrid and, and win all the trophies you probably wanted. So, yeah, it's it works two different ways. But I don't know. I've always felt this from the start of the summer, really, and be, and before, that this summer didn't feel like the one for Kane to go, um, despite being in the last 12 months of his contract. For me, it's in his almost in his interest to stay another season, to have the power in his hands, Um you know, he could command a huge contract from Spurs despite the fact that he's 30 this summer um, if he wants one. Or next summer, he's a free agent that can do whatever he likes and go wherever he wants, even if that means heading across London to meet up with a certain Argentine, which just to crush everyone entirely. Um, yeah, yeah, I think with Kane, it's it's quite interesting that and I know this doesn't mean anything in terms of we've seen it with Bale back in 2013, but I have found it quite interesting how prominent Kane is on everything to do with the new kit. And also, even today with the fixtures, he was there slap bang in like the, I think it was the, the here are your first five fixtures of the season or something like that. And it was him next to him. Um, and yeah, I know that doesn't, it's kind of almost a redundant point because of what's happened with Bale in 2013. But I just think it's interesting. I've seen, I have definitely seen Spurs maybe learning from that Bale experience and not using certain players. Like we've had silly little things like the calendar comes out in January and the certain players aren't on it because you know that means there's a possibility they might not be there for the rest of the year. Um, so yeah, again, it could be just absolutely nothing, but I just don't ever feel that the vibe has been that he's definitely going cue like the Eric Dyer thing he's he's off next week to Real Madrid but I hope he's not because I'd love to see him embrace the Postacoglu system which if he plays the Celtic Postacoglu system actually doesn't fit Harry Kane because what Kyogo did it's a thankless running job which is not what Kane would want to do at this stage but if he were to use previous systems like I've been told the way he used Viduka in the national team um, and the name has escaped me, but it was another older player at one of his clubs, I think it was in Australia, that he tweaked the system to to really revolve it around them. And let's be honest, you've got someone of the world-class ability, world class ability of Harry Kane who can drop deep as a false nine. You use it. You, you, you make your system work around that. And I'm sure Postacoglu, from everything I've read and heard, is is far, far, far intelligent enough to be able to do that. And 
oh, the chances that Harry Kane would have in his system, I think he could get more than 30 Premier League goals next season. Yeah, 100%. Uh, especially playing this attacking football, I think he's going to have so many chances. And if he can carry on the form from last season, yeah, you can see him scoring plenty and getting even closer to Alan Shearer's goal-scoring record in the Premier League, What should make for uh, fun watching for all Tottenham fans next season. Uh, sticking with one of Tottenham's current attackers, Sonny, uh, with this week, learned that he has gone under the knife. Uh, he's been carrying a, a sports hernia injury. Uh, he's played for eight to nine months and he went under the knife at the end of the season. Obviously, we understand that you know, someone's playing with the injury, but managing it throughout the season as, you know, he just didn't want to miss any matches for Tottenham. He's away on international duty with South Korea at the moment. Unsure whether or not he'll be playing in these upcoming games, but he was speaking to the media uh, yesterday and he said, I wondered a lot if I should even make this public, but I struggled with pain all season. I played through it for eight to nine months, but couldn't go anymore. So, uh, so I made the decision finally and underwent surgery. Even for simple actions like passing a turn in every movement starts from your core muscles, but that's exactly where my pain was. I was only able to do 60% of what I could usually do at 100%. So this probably explains maybe Sonny's struggles during the, the first part of the season. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a difficult one because my fa- my kind of when I saw this and taking it on face value it was very much like, well, why didn't you get that sorted in the season? That was my first thought when you see it, and especially the fact that there's talk that it might be a two week recovery period. Although I'm intrigued to see whether he does end up playing for Korea or not, um, because yeah, I don't know whether how quickly that recovery period is going to be from this, but. Yeah, that was my first thought. Is like, why not get this sorted? But it just seems to be that this. I guess it's the, the Sonny way. He's such a humble, hardworking guy that he didn't want to miss any games for Spurs. He wanted to continue to try and give his all for Spurs, um, and just didn't want to miss a chunk of the season. Um, and obviously, the the matches that would have come with that. And and as soon as the season went, he got it done. It's a bit like. Dyer was playing with his, which I think was post-World Cup he picked it up. Or was it during the World Cup? It was certainly since the World Cup. And he eventually, the pain got too much and he had to sort that out. And, and like I say, it does very much remind me of Kieran Trippier, who only months after he joined Atletico Madrid admitted that he you know, probably should have got his problem that he picked up. It was the one he got in against Croatia in the... Uh, the World Cup semi-final, and he played an entire season with this problem, and it should have got sorted. Um, but yeah, it's it's just yet another reason why we should see a much better Sonny next season. Um, obviously, having this injury, still managing to contribute twenty goal involvements, fourteen goals, six assists. Um, but he'll come back stronger, and again, the system is going to get him high up that pitch. He's going to be doing a lot of his defensive work up there. He'll have to track back occasionally, but mainly his pressing will be done up the pitch. So that means the ball breaking to him in some really good positions high up the pitch. Um, and and mainly just kind of getting up there and staying wide, which is where he really does a lot of his damage. He'll be able to cut in, of course, but yeah, it's just a system that puts him in better places, to be honest. Um, so I think we'll see Sonny's goal output massively increase as well once he uh, 
comes back and is fully fit and he's expected to be absolutely fine for pre-season so no issues there and he's also been doing his homework on the new manager as well he's been he speaking with uh one of his South Korea teammates who plays for Celtic. So, yeah, he's trying to get an insight into Postacoglu, what it's going to be like. And as you're saying, he'll just be intent on making a fast start to the season, given his struggles at the start of uh, last campaign. Right, before we call it a day on today's latest episode of Golden Guest Tot- Tottenham, Ali, I know you just wanted to touch upon the changes what have been taking place in the academy this week. Yeah, it's just a sad one, really. Dean Rastrick, who's the academy manager, a very, very popular figure within the club, is has headed off. Um, it's been 13 years at the club, and he's seen uh, developed a lot of young players through from the academy to the first team, all on to professional careers elsewhere. And a lot of coaches as well within the setup have really improved underneath him and his work with them. And Look, I know people will say, oh, but who's come through to the first team? But but they have. You look at the number of Premier League debuts for players that have come through the academy over the years. It's 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 a very decent number. And all the players that have gone elsewhere and had a career elsewhere, um, yes, it's an academy that could probably do with, with more funding. It's an academy that could do with more being kind of put into it to match the facilities it's got. Um, but... It feels like that was starting to happen under Fabio Paratici and hopefully will be continued under the uh, next director of football and Scott Munn as well. But yeah, just a little quick word on Rastrick, uh, Dean Rastrick, who, yeah, he, he's one of those who, with John McDermott, who left in 2020, John McDermott left and Dean Rastrick stepped up to become essentially head of all the academy stuff. Um, and the combined experience of those two guys of 28 years at Tottenham Hotspur. That, that's a big change in the academy now to have lost both of those two guys. Um, and I thought it was really nice for Dean Rastrick that his final year did include those Premier League Cup wins for the under-18s and the under-17s. I know youth football should not be judged on trophies. It's about development. But I just still feel, as an aesthetic thing off on the outside, it's quite nice that he had some silverware in the last year. Very well-regarded guy. Um and it'd be interesting to see now how, whether they re- replace him directly or whether his role gets kind of absorbed into that of uh, Simon Davies, who um, I've got his title here. I think it's Head of Coaching Methodology, if I remember correctly, but I want to double check. Yes, Head of Coaching Methodology. Um, he is he's not the former Spurs player. He's a former Man City Academy coach who also worked with... Um, Vincent Company when he went to Belgium. Um, and he's honestly rave reviews from people that have worked with him at Spurs so far. Apparently, he's a very hands on guy, very clear communicator with really good ideas. Um, so it's about whether the role gets absorbed, absorbed into his and that of Andy Scolding, who is head of football strategy. His kind of role lies somewhere beneath, uh, sorry, between the academy and first team. It's almost like that pathway is what he's mainly in charge of. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But it just feels like a strange season a season of, of exits. We've had, uh, obviously, Dean Rastrick's now gone. You also had in the youth recruitment side, you had Chris Perkins, who is the head of emerging talent. He went off to do the same job for Arsenal. 
emerging talent scout Chris Scudder. I know he went off from Spurs and is now Wolves head of London recruitment. So, yeah, there's there's just a few names that have done some decent things in the academy and, and in Dean Rastrick's case, very decent things for a very long time who are moving on. So it's going to be a, a very different feel to the academy next season. Um, and, you know, sometimes of these things, um, it's not always to say it's a bad thing. Sometimes fresh ideas can bring new things. Dean Rashford's going on to his new challenges and maybe it spurs, you know, it starts to, to have a different view. And especially, let's be honest, a manager who is going to have a little bit more attention spent on young players coming through and, and a real interest in them as well. So hopefully the future will be bright for those young talents because there's a lot of them in that team. Uh, sorry, in that academy. You look at those under-18, under-17 winners, among them there's a lot of very good young players. Um, and a lot of those will step up to the under-21s because they're too old to, to play for the under-18s. And I think the under-21s who had a difficult season for a variety of circumstances, which I've gone into many times in articles. Um, I think it's going to be a very different under-21s team next year. I think you'll see a fair few of those older players moving on this summer uh, and replaced by younger ones and new players coming into the club. So, yeah, keep an eye on that. Right. I think we'll call it a day for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Top Tottenham. I think we've done about 90 minutes now. Right, yeah, again, I know, I know. We'll be back uh, next week because, as ever, there'll be plenty of stuff to discuss in the world of Tottenham Hotspur. So just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash goldcast to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.